0: Hey friends, welcome to Life Together Unscripted. This podcast is for those of us who are just a bit tired of everything that looks so polished and schmick in the world. Production that's squeaky clean that you know has been practiced a million times. So we are hopeful that you enjoy the unedited and unscripted nature of this show. We can promise you that this episode you're listening to today uh, was unplanned on the front end and unedited and untouched on the back end. So we hope you enjoy this episode. This is Life Together Unscripted. Hey, Tess, how are you doing? Hello. Hey, hey. Thanks for joining me on the show today.
1: You're welcome.
0: Cool. Well, hey, I haven't done this disclaimer in a long time, but um, if at any point in time, uh, because it's unedited and unscripted, if at any point in time you want to opt out of a question or you want to flip the interview on me to ask me anything, I'm an open book. So let's have a fun conversation. All right. (laughs) <laughs> and get into it. Hey, um, would love to know off the bat, uh, what keeps you occupied, like in a given week, rather than saying what is your profession? Um, what keeps you occupied in a given week?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um my children keep me very occupied because I'm a homeschool mum as well as running my own business. So my day always starts with focusing on their homeschooling before I turn my attention to anything else. Um and Secondly, I'd say uh, working with my clients, so formulating treatment plans, thinking about their health, putting together puzzle pieces in my mind about what's going on for them um, definitely takes up a lot of my time. And I I spend a lot of time at my computer, a lot unfortunately.
0: (laughs) That's all right. Well, cool. Hey, uh, I'm going to get into the um, actual uh, what you do for your clients Mm -hmm. and things like that and Mm -hmm. unpack that a little bit more. But um, as we start, we'd love to know um, why did you go the homeschooling route? What are the pros and cons of that as you've seen um, Mm. in, in your experience?
1: Yeah, well, homeschooling was not something I had. I actually liked the idea of homeschooling and then I had children And I met the kids that God gave me and I thought no that's not for me (laughs) (laughs) um when my kids were finally able to go to school I feel like that was when you know we were all a lot happier when we could have space and time you know doing our own thing in our own zone outside of the home Mm. but after lockdown last year um my my 10 year old in particular he's he's severely dyslexic and seeing the kind of work that came home sorry my cat's wanting to join um seeing the kind of work that came home and knowing his strengths and how creative it is, he is i felt like it was worth giving it a go um so yeah i didn't really come from this kind of you know amazing christian mum who wants to do all the things to be honest it really wasn't my intention at all but I'm loving having all the time with my family. So have lockdown last year, I'm in Melbourne. I know you're in Melbourne. We spent a lot of time at home homeschooling our kids, a good six months or so spread out throughout the year. Um, and I didn't realise how much I'd love that and how much I enjoy the challenge and the creativity of homeschooling my kids. And I get to see them engage in certain topics and learn through that, which is so rewarding. And I'm absolutely loving it
0: that's very cool hey well um for a mom who has a son with dyslexia um, what was that like to I guess go through that diagnosis process and then what has changed as you've learned more about loving someone close to you um, with that impairment or that uh, disability in reading
1: oh there's a real process you go through when you start to realize that your child um, isn't Meeting certain standards. Um, There's a lot of grief and a bit of denial at the beginning. Uh, And I see this with other people as well. You know, sometimes you can gently suggest, hey, maybe you should get someone checked out. And people certainly did that with me. Mm. And the first stage is very much, you know, how dare you suggest there's something wrong Mm. with my child and, you know, they're just this or they're just that. And yeah, so I think uh, my. Theodore's teachers were very patient with me for a couple of years um, and sort of saying, look, there's a few warning signals and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But by about grade three, I think it was, or grade two, um, I was ready to, I think, just looking at the facts of how behind he was, so he was a good two years behind, Mm. um, I was ready to learn more about how his brain works, regardless of what kind of diagnosis we were looking at um so that we could sort of work to his strengths and that's exactly what happens so finding out that you know in in i think it was visual reasoning he was he was only eight or nine when we got him tested his his ability was that of a 14 year old Mm -hmm. so in a lot of areas he was quite advanced and then in a lot of areas he was almost you know back at grade one sort of level um And so then you get the joy of seeing how unique your child is. And we actually went out for dinner that night and celebrated because we had, you know, a 40 page report and we were all really excited about understanding the way his brain worked and understanding that he was different um, and that it was a strength and that, you know, there were things that were going to be harder for him, but also things that he was going to be amazing at and that God had gifted, gifted him in for a reason. So yeah, now it's great. I mean, we just, I'm constantly like trying to pivot and adapt to him and what he needs. I am not trained, I'm not a trained teacher at all. Um, So it's, there's a lot of experimentation, but I spend a lot of time doing this um, dyslexia tutoring. So part of what I did last year is learning how to tutor dyslexic kids so that I could tutor my son. Um, so every morning at 8am we do 45 minutes of something called the Barton method, and we we go through um, like right back to the basics of phonetics and um, and you know spelling and all that stuff. So yeah, that's been um, that's been great, and I love seeing how he's growing and developing. And there are challenges, you know, there's behavioural things that come with kids who can't meet other people's standards sometimes um but i think homeschools are really great fix for that i mean it has its pros and cons but there's no uh, whole class of kids that he has to compare to he's just him and he's learning at his own pace and what you know with what he's good at so yeah it's been um it's been great
0: it's been great that test hey, and you know i i would think that um Yeah, oftentimes it's probably the stigma or the negative things that we think on. But um, can you explain to me um, just a little bit more about the positive aspects of, I think you said, creative, um, visual creativity um, is off the charts. And and what are the pathways for um, children with dyslexia or um, that struggle with that? What are potential avenues and things to explore for other um, parents out there or just people in general learning about this?
1: Mm, Okay. Uh, Yeah, so in terms of his strengths, Um, he is highly creative, especially when it comes to sort of creating worlds and stories and his um, visual artistic skills have always been absolutely exceptional. Um, So we've been able to sort of really focus a lot more, you know, we loved the school they were at and I have no complaints at all, but they only did art once a fortnight. And that's tragic to me. And he really, he needs it every day um so just seeing him develop in that area has been great um because he's always been ahead of his class with things and if he can get excited about something there was one project in particular he did and he won an award for it uh what he recreated uh, he did a model of the ship that our ancestors came in on in the in the first fleet and it was amazing. You know, sometimes when a project would come home and it was a lot of writing like a poster just filled with writing or a report, mm. that would be kind of crushing for him and he wouldn't mm. it would be really hard to get him to do that stuff. But when the school is savvy enough to send home, you know, eight options, like our school was where he can do represent information and learn show his learning through a whole lot of different avenues, he was able to interview my my grandma, his great grandmother, because she uh, does a lot of genealogy, and look into the history of our family. So he re- recreated one of the ships um, that Nathaniel Lucas came over on. So Nathaniel Lucas was one of our ancestors. And he did such an amazing job. He started it the night that the sheet came home and had it ready early. And it was just beautiful. It had fabric sails and everything. Um, so, you know, those skills there are really great. And I can see how He does a lot of coding as part of homeschooling as well. So I can see how some of these skills may transfer very well to, um, I don't know, IT. I don't even know what to call it, computer stuff. That's about Mm -hmm. as far as it goes to me. Yeah. Sorry, my cat's distracting me. Um, And in terms of pathways for dyslexic kids, sadly, um, there's not a lot, actually. There's Mm. no funding for them, Mm. even though Theo probably would have benefited from an aid. Whenever he, they did any literacy, he probably needed an aid. And even to some degree with maths as well, because it does impact maths. Um, the school was very generous and they did lots of extra work with him. Um, but some schools, you know, aren't able to do that. Uh, I honestly, I think it's about discovering your child and what their strengths are. And I highly recommend that anyone who suspects that they have a child with dyslexia goes to a really good educational psychologist and gets a really good assessment so that they can actually understand their strengths. And when you understand their strengths and you understand their interests, it can really work together for the good of their learning um, and their love of learning as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, we tend to think of school as, well, they go there to learn, but on the weekends and in the evenings you have a lot of opportunity if you do have school kids to help your kids pursue things that are really going to drive them through life and i think trying to work out for my both my boys but theo in particular what he's good at and what kind of pathway he might end up on um, means that i can help him now already and i think a lot of parents can can do that um, you know working out what they're interested in. i mean he wants to be a gamer <laughs> and a youtuber so mm-hmm. you know trying to give him scope to develop those skills he's going to need to do that mm-hmm. i'm gonna to have to let my cat out because she's meowing at the door
0: that's okay. <laughs> okay yeah for what it's worth tess um i can see that your headphones are off but i'm going to keep talking right. for the sake um, of this yeah, interview but... oh go ahead
1: Gone. um <laughs> there's, there's a lot of Facebook groups as well. If people want to get and find um, communities and there can be some really helpful stuff. There's also dyslexia homeschool uh, Facebook Mm -hmm. groups too. So, you know, there's, there's information out there, um, but there's a lot of conflicting information. And I found it quite hard to find a tutoring system because there's a lot out there Mm -hmm. and I had to sort of, you know, do quite a lot of research on that. But if if you're in the right forums and things there's parents who are going through the same stuff who also want to see their kids thrive so you can't find it
0: yeah definitely and I think um you've hit on something so universal too with the schooling system and I just I keep having this conversation but I feel like it's so archaic um, because you've got you know uh, these square holes to jump through and if you're a round peg for example um you have such a difficult time with whether that's impairment or just proclivity to learning myself like um I'd love to potentially consider going to Bible college and and going down that next pathway but there's one kind of one train and one trajectory which is I'm going to read a lot of books and write a lot of essays and that's the only way Um, and I'm a different I'm a visual learner Uh, and so me you know uni took me seven years or something um, when I went through my degree and it's just it's a it's a system uh, that is very rigid and so when you have these um, different learners uh, I'm I guess All the negative aside, I'm I'm excited and optimistic for the future, like for yourself, that people that are homeschooling or taking different approaches um, to the educational system for, um, yeah, that kind of awareness and conversations that I think could and should happen.
1: Definitely. I hope that they have tweaked a bit more when it comes to different styles of learning by the time Theo goes to uni. If he goes to uni, he may want to do something completely different and that's okay as well. But, yeah, I feel for you. Yeah. I, I'm the kind of learner who I, I can sort of fit in with whatever. I'm one of those, you know, mainstream boring people. <laughs> um, but I know, yeah, I, I actually I found it very hard to work out and to sort of get my head around the fact that think certain concepts and things just aren't easy for him at all like I found that really hard Mm -hmm. so yeah it's I I think things will change and I think the fact that there's so much online learning now as well is going to help um because you know there's audiobooks and you know by the time Theo's at university he'll be able apparently I'm told he'll uh, sorry in high school he'll be able to do his exams with some kind of dictation pen or something you know Mm -hmm. this morning we sat down and I tried to get him to do a big write, which is a creative story based off things we've been learning about. And he sat there for 15 minutes, couldn't do it, couldn't get a sentence down. Mm. One of his problems is that it's very hard for him to write too. It's very slow. So I said, all right, darling, I could see he was getting really stressed. I said, how about you tell me the story and I'll write. So we only had 15 minutes, of our half an hour timer left, and we ended up writing three pages together and he got this great story out Um, about this submarine captain and this this shark cat creature this mythical creature and yeah yeah, so you know it's it's working out how they need to get information out of their brains and if you ask a dyslexic kid to write an essay it's kind of cruel to be Mm, honest (laughs) Um, and to read all those books like I I really now I understand how he takes I can understand how you'd be feeling daunted by you know the sort of bible college for sure
0: yeah yeah no thanks for saying that and i think you know before we turn a corner and start talking about nutrition and things like that i think one of the things that i really want to praise you on is i'm understanding as a parent we often see um or or seek to parent through our biases right like if my kid stubs his toe I'm like oh it's not that bad but actually he's processing it differently than my experience and my worldview and my understanding says so to see the world through their eyes um, is something that I'm constantly challenged with and thinking through and it sounds like you're doing that with Theo as you as you um, you know empathize and and step into his shoes a little bit more so it's wonderful
1: I try there's plenty of times that I fail to.
0: Yeah, of course. That's a beauty. <laughs> That's a beauty of parenting. Um, look, yeah, let's turn a corner. Let's start talking about um, nutrition. And, and uh, we kind of did talk a little bit about that at the very beginning of the interview. But would love to know um, what is your actual uh, title or position or what is it that you um, start with me? Pretend I'm a Martian and starting at step one. What is it that you do?
1: Yeah. OK, um, I help a couple of specific groups of people to Uh, Learn how to eat, uh, what to eat, when to eat, Um, specifically uh, trying to cut through all the confusion nowadays um, and really get down to what is best for them in terms of their health picture, their uh, ancestry is really important too Um, and what, what their needs are, also their time and their ability and all, all those things. So I mostly work with people with digestive issues. Um, so, you know, they're, they're not digesting food well, they've usually got disordered bowel motions. Um, it's uncomfortable, you know, for a lot of people, they are able to eat a meal, goes down, comes out the next day, done. And for many, many people and increasingly so, Um, due to a number of factors, that is not the case. And they have very uncomfortable, painful digestion and very disordered bowel motions. So Mm. um, I help people resolve issues there and learn how to eat and, you know, put supplement regimes and things together to heal their gut and repair their digestion Um, and get them, you know, doing a nice healthy poo every day and feeling great and enjoying food, getting food freedom again. a lot of them have a lot of food intolerances. And the second group of people I work with is um, women with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's disease. So, uh, gosh, where do you start? I mean, unfortunately, a lot of women that listen to this, there'll be several of them that have a thyroid condition and don't know. Um, What tends to happen is we... We might get into our 30s or so and we might have kids or we might not. We might be busy with a career. Um, we're generally pretty high achievers. So we, um, <laughs> we work really hard and we like to do everything well. And we start getting tired and putting on weight, um, sometimes hair loss, um, your fingernails can get brittle, your skin can get dry, you get constipated. And what's happening is your metabolism is slowing down because your thyroid is underperforming. And for some people, that's driven by an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's. And for others, it's due to nutrient deficiencies or stress and things going on within the body. And it's really common. And a lot of women who are feeling rubbish will go to their doctor and say something's wrong. And they'll check things and go, no, nah, you're fine. You're normal. So it's quite um yeah, it's quite disempowering for us. That was certainly my experience for a long time as well. So I have Hashimoto's disease, which drives my subclinical hypothyroidism. Which just means that because of how well I work on my thyroid health, um, my uh, hypothyroidism is subclinical rather than overt. So it's it's mild, um, mm. you know. So I keep it in a fairly good level. So I help them to, um, particularly to shift stubborn weight because you know, we tend to look around and judge people for their weight, but there are a lot of women and their metabolism is literally slowed down and they may eat a lot less and they may eat very well and it doesn't matter what they do, the weight will keep creeping on. Um, Yeah, so they're the two main groups of people I work with and often there's a lot of overlap. So if you have Hashimoto's disease or an autoimmune condition, it's generally, it's (laughs) it's quite interesting, all the new research that's come out over the past 10 years or so Uh, it's often to do with dysbiotic, a dysbiotic gut. So the microbiome flora being, um, out of balance and your immune, your gut modulated immune function being really out of whack. So, you know, I'm sure you've heard of leaky gut where that's not a term I really like to use and it's kind of simplified, but we tend to call it intestinal permeability and that's often where autoimmune disease starts. So that overlap overlaps a lot with my gut clients. And then, um, of course, when your metabolism slows and your digestion, you know, your enzyme production goes down, your stomach acid goes down, and even the muscles in your gut um, that actually push food through your gut and out, um, they slow down when you've got hypothyroidism. So you end, a lot of women end up constipated. This can happen to men too, but generally it's women. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of overlap with my gut and my thyroid clients. <laughs> and a very long answer, that's what I do
0: yeah no thank you i really appreciate that um there's probably a ton that i could sift through in that but i guess the thing that i'm most curious about is how is that um for women how do you work on that process of awareness as it relates to you said it can be just quite disempowering to show up to a doctor and you know be told there's nothing wrong or whatever but what does it then look like to have that awareness what are um you know, is it found through blood? Is it found through what? what is that pathway that then people get onto you? And, and what does that typically look like? And what would it look like in a really, in a perfect system, I suppose? Or what would it look like for people to onboard and, and talk to you earlier in the process?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I guess if, for starters, it's listening to your gut instinct. And if you know that something's not right, don't stop and don't take no for an answer when you do go to the GP. So what tends to happen is so thyroid conditions are diagnosed, um, blood tests are usually first. There are many, many complicated ways in which your thyroid can go wrong. Um, So there's often other scans and scopes and um, biopsies and ultrasounds they'll do as well if they find something wrong. But what happens is, um, and this is a real problem, uh, and it's to do with the tools that the doctors have and the training they have for treating for treating the thyroid. And it's mostly medication to either, you know, upregulate or downregulate. So some women actually have hyperthyroidism, which is, um, you know, an overactive, so there's too much going on. So they tend to have the opposite symptoms, you know, weight loss, anxiety, irritability, shakiness, um, diarrhea. Um, so what happens is the doctor under Medicare can only test like a couple of really basic blood chemistry things to do with your thyroid, some hormone levels. And if they come back normal, now the other problem is the lab ranges are way too high. So you can start getting symptomatic with anything between sort of, or over two with your TSH, uh, until you're at, depends on which lab you're looking at, until you're at four or five plus, they won't even consider that there's anything wrong with you. Yet a lot of people are in that two to five sort of range and they are highly symptomatic in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so my TSH doesn't tend to go anywhere near five. I think the highest I've been is 3.3 yet I have Hashimoto's disease and I know that I've had hyper, hypothy- it's been driven by hyperthyroidism at times. So what happens is they get a normal TSH level and I'm putting up my quotation fingers here because it's not normal. It's mm-hmm. subclinical hyperthyroidism, mm-hmm. but unless they're in a full on disease state where their thyroid is like really, really struggling, uh, that they get ignored. It, it doesn't get looked into because the only main tool, because they don't look at lifestyle and diet and things so much in the training, it's mostly drugs to either upregulate thyroid th- th- functional or downregulate it. So unless they can see that it's really out of range, they don't have the tools to actually do much about that. So that's where a lot of women get lost and they can end up tired and exhausted and feeling rubbish for the rest of their lives unfortunately if because they say oh yeah I've had my thyroid checked and it was all normal do you know how often I hear that because <laughs> I'm always checking women's thyroid well and mm-hmm. men and children to be honest if I suspect anything um mm-hmm. you know when there's gut issues as well because they're so closely correlated mm-hmm. uh yeah so that's often where it goes wrong um I've I, you i see a really great doctor who's super thorough so having a doctor you trust who cares who's thorough spends more than two minutes with you is really important and i think having um that great rapport with them is really important because you want to keep seeing the same doctor because you want them to keep an eye on your levels if you if you're constantly changing doctors which a lot of us do um it's you know they don't know you you can come in and say well i've had depression whatever that you know they may not take you as seriously as someone who knows you well And then what happens for me, what I generally say is if you get a result over two and the doctor can't, Medicare won't cover any of the other results. You have to pay and say, look, I'm willing to pay the $180 or whatever it is now in order to get my antibodies and my T3 and T4 and reverse T3 and all that stuff checked. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when you get the full thyroid picture. And, they, and you can actually really understand what's going on with your body. And ideally you get your iodine checked as well. So iodine deficiency drives a lot of hypothyroidism um, and thyroid dysfunction. It's really low in the soil in Australia, which is why they put iodine in our salt. Um, so a lot of women especially after pregnancy they're super depleted they've just grown an amazing thing inside them and that thing has taken all of their uh, their mojo and their minerals and completely left them like a dried up husk (laughs) that's what happens to a lot of women and then so often it's postpartum after they have the baby that's when their thyroid will go you know bonkers and and they start getting really awful symptoms, which I suspect is what happened to me, although I never got it tested at the time.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: So, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you so much. And look, um, I think as a specialist, we're, we're in pretty, um, we're dialed in pretty tightly. I'd love to zoom back and take the interview in slightly a different direction, but kind of similar. Um, you did mention body image and mm. um, would love to just maybe chat with you about that a little bit as it relates to um your clients, but also just being a woman in general and having um, your finger on the pulse of what is health and what is nutrition and, and all these things, and, and maybe BMI and some of those different factors of you know what it means to actually be healthy. Um, yeah. Would love to just uh, pick your brain for a minute on uh, what you think about body image and how it relates to health in the current state of, of how we're living.
1: Yeah, oh gosh, it's such a big one and something that I, uh, I find really hard um, to talk about, uh, you know, everyone wants to lose weight, everyone, um, you know, whether or not they're smaller or larger or whatever, it it seems to be something that no one is, none of my, well, let's, I shouldn't say that, but most of my clients report that weight loss is another thing they want. Um, and it does sadden me. I, I, I think there's a two pronged sort of thought on this because, on, on the one hand, we have, uh, you know, one of the o- most obese nations in the world. We are dying of preventable disease. We are putting a huge burden on the healthcare system um, because we, we are obese. Um, we have, we carry way too much um, body fat. And we know that the consequences of that are, you know, awful, multifaceted, but, you know, metabolic syndrome when, you know, you've got the high, um, high cholesterol, you've got the cardiovascular risk, obesity you know your liver fatty liver disease often your liver's struggling your hormones won't be coping you know, it impacts everything mm-hmm. um, and then you know insulin levels are up and you know if you keep going like that for too long then you you'll end up with diabetes most likely which is another very prevalent disease in Australia um, so you know things that have got to change um, the way I try to approach it with my clients is instead of weighing themselves, I try to get them to measure themselves mm. because I feel like weighing themselves is a huge trigger. <laughs> um, mm. and we can get very obsessive about it, but what I like to try and do is talk more about how they feel. Um, I like to focus on their energy levels, their sleep, um, you know, how good it felt that they could fit into that dress they used to wear five years ago. Uh, yeah, look, I'm not gonna lie. I've struggled. Uh, when I was young, my mum was a weight loss consultant, and we mm. talked about weight a lot. <laughs> um, I was dieting. I, I don't know, probably 14 years old. I was. I started dieting, oh, yeah. um, and I, my weight has always yo-yoed up and down a lot. Now, since probably my late twenties. And I guess because I was a nutritionist and I worked on I worked on that a lot. And also, you know, having a lot of women get body dysmorphia too. So that's a very common hormonal issue where once a month they can literally see a different reflection in the mirror. And that, that can be very distressing. And I've experienced that and it's crazy. It's it's literally like someone switched mirrors and you can't see yourself for who you really are. So there's there's a lot of things going on. And I guess if I can one of the conversations I always have with my clients just to try and help you understand how I tend to view it is. Yeah. I want them to feel amazing. Mm. And if they're carrying, you know, 30 kilos of extra weight, they're not going to feel amazing. And realistically, it's probably going to shorten their lifespan. Yeah. If they're carrying an extra 50 or 80 kilos, it will definitely shorten their lifespan. So I want them to be empowered, but I also talk to them about loving themselves for who they are now <clears throat> because when they lose the weight, this is what can happen is they can say, Well, I want to lose more and more because they never get to that point. It's always the grass is greener where they're mm. not happy mm. and they're comparing themselves. So if we focus on how we feel, um, we avoid scales and we love ourselves and see ourselves the way our family and God sees us, um, then we can try and take it as a uh, A side effect of a healthy lifestyle Mm. you know we don't exercise and flog ourselves at the gym to try and look like a model we do it because we feel bloody fantastic afterwards I mean I never flog myself at the gym (laughs) that's just not me I like gentle walks in nature to be honest Um, but you know we do these things because they serve us and it's a form of self-care Um, we don't do them for the, the, the looks outcome. Um, but the good thing is if you stick at a healthy lifestyle and if you, uh, eat in a way that makes you feel fantastic, the weight naturally comes off. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for some people, yes, they definitely need a metabolism reset and it's not easy, especially for women. I'm sorry, but for men, it's much easier for you guys to lose weight because of Mm -hmm. where you store it Mm -hmm. for women. It is not as easy to lose weight. And I, fully acknowledge that and I've been there I was I I was up 30 kilos after I had my second son you know I've lost a lot of weight too I've been there and um, so taking a slow sustainable self-loving approach to weight loss um, and yeah I think it's we want women to feel like absolute rock stars and I can tell you right now when you've got an extra 20 kilos and your knees are aching um, you know and you're you know, you can't sleep because your blood sugar levels are all over the place. You do not feel like a rock star. So let's focus on those things instead because otherwise we we're just weight obsessed. So yeah, it's it's really hard because and I know that, you know, there are women who are a different nationality. Then they're, they're never going to look like the models. You know, there are certain nationalities where they're built bigger. And it's beautiful. And that's just the way they are. Like Islanders, for example, you know, yeah. their BMIs are probably unhealthy. Sure. But if you look at their markers and if they're eating well, especially if they're eating their traditional diet, they're healthy. They're great. They're making babies. Their reproductive systems are fine. You know, everything's working okay. Yet they don't look like Miranda Kerr or, you know, an Instagram model, but they're still healthy. Um, So it's finding that balance. And I think once you get onto the right diet for you, which I hate to use the word diet, but it's really the most practical way to say it but eating good whole foods in and the right foods for you um you'll settle at a weight that's meant to be for you and and then you just keep doing it because it feels good yeah yeah
0: i'd love uh, man i love that so much Uh, there's so much in that that you said that um i've had similar conversations with megan i'm like look i don't care because i think she's got a concern about her weight and all that i'm like look I don't care what the scale says. I want you to feel healthy, yeah. and I want you to enjoy your life. That's all that matters to me yeah. um, in the long term. But um, I'd be curious to know how do you think? Because you know we're we're both believers here, mm-hmm. um, and I've got some thoughts on this as it relates to um, the faith. But mm-hmm. how ha- have you ever heard uh, the church speak on issues of um, weight or um, physical activity? Has that been handled well? Has it not been handled well? And where can we have a voice in this like where as brothers and sisters can we come together and have conversations around health um physical fitness weight food um because my thought and inclination is we just simply don't talk about it at all it's 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 a it's not a spiritual issue and therefore we don't touch it and I'd be curious to know what are your thoughts on that you know what
1: yeah I would disagree I I think um I I think that discipline with our, with our bodies and our self-love and self-care and the way we take care of our bodies is a spiritual issue um and yes i have i've had many frustrations in the past uh on this topic not being covered at all and it is hard like gosh who wants to be the pastor who <laughs> <It> talks about <laughs> yeah. that right yeah, yeah. um you know i think i'd probably steer clear too if that was my job um <laughs> yeah i think I think discipline in all areas of our life, um, I think it's important. And I think as Christians, you know, we, we tightly control a lot of things, you know, we, we, we don't watch the wrong things or um, drink too much or, you know, mm. take the drugs or party too hard or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, so many of us, we all, every human being has emotional baggage and many of us um, and trauma, uh, live that out through our eating, and that's how mm. our way of coping. Because it feels, I guess, a bit more innocuous, doesn't it, than, than mm. going and partying and sleeping around or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would like to hear it talked about more in church because when you're uh, retired and you're in the prime, you should be in the prime of your life um, for being there for your grandkids and serving in the church and doing all the hobbies and things that you've, you know, you've been working hard your whole life to now enjoy this time. Um, And instead you are very unwell um, and unable to do those things because of lifestyle choices you've made. I think that's sad. Um, Mm. And I think that's a lot of lost potential. But, you know, I mean, is God up there judging people? I I don't know. But personally, for me, I want to take care of myself so I have longevity, so I can keep, um, you know, keep up all these activities and things I want to do with vitality especially my grandkids and you know serving in the church and stuff um yeah I want to do all those things and I mean people get sick for through no fault of their own you know our genetics are declining pretty badly I've got to say you know there's a lot going on there as well um but yeah if you if there's factors that you can control um and you can sort of show respect to the body that God gave you through, through that, then I, I personally think that is wonderful, but I, I also want to be sensitive and understand that there are people who are, uh, you know, no matter what they do, they're doing everything right and they still struggle. And also there are people who are traumatized and, um, that this is their way of coping. So, you know, I guess seeking help for that is important too.
0: Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Hey, Tess, with whatever remaining time we have, I know her, um, heredity and, and there's, all, there's always a caveat to health and all of that, but what are um, some of the things that you would stress, I guess, to our audience and myself, men and women in general, you know, to end up on the healthy side of retirement and to end up doing and feeling physically fit to the best of our ability, um, what are some of those, Uh, areas of wisdom that you would recommend that maybe are a little bit off the cuff Um, you know we probably know some of the things of exercise regularly and all of that but as it relates to food what what does it look like to have a right relationship and what are some of the things that you look at uh, in your world
1: sure okay I would say one of the biggest things that people could do to improve their health um, and could make a big difference long term is to stop snacking Three, three healthy meals a day that are, you know, a proper meal that you sit down and eat that have a balanced meal, you know, palm sized piece of protein, um, greens every meal, some kind of greens. I like to have like half a plate of greens and then a quarter of a plate of some colorful vegetables and then some protein um, three times a day. Uh, is you know every now and then there's health reasons why people need to snack and kids you know tend to burn through their energy pretty quickly. That being said, you know, we are giving them a lot of foods that they will burn through quickly. <laughs> and that's why they're hungry more and need more snacking. But they do still need to snack a bit more. But for adults, yes, quit snacking. We we don't need it. Um, if you're hungry within a couple of hours of a meal, that's just a sign that the meal wasn't balanced. Um, Yeah. And that you probably had, you know, some more high glycemic foods or um, not enough, um, not enough protein, not enough um, nutritious fats to keep you satiated because we really aren't designed to be eating all day or snacking every two to three hours. Um, Three meals is more than enough. And I can tell you what, it'll make a big difference if you do have weight to shift to your weight, but also your digestion. We are, our digestion suffers when our stomach is constantly full and it takes two or three hours for your stomach to actually process a meal. So if you eat every two to three hours, which most people do, your stomach is never empty. And what happens is the, the muscle contractions and the peristalsis, it's migrating motor complex, which kick in to brush the waste out, you know, right through your digestive system, it, it actually doesn't work as well. Um, and things can get really stagnant and, you know, you're you're not absorbing your nutrients as well. Um, you know, you can get a lot of gas production, you can get bacteria where it shouldn't be. Um, you know, that can be, you know, that, that can make a really big difference. Just, you know, cutting out the snacking. Um, the other thing, so the two main, there's probably three main things I would say is other one, have enough water (laughs) hydrate. That is huge. We cannot survive without enough fluid. Um, So it's 33 mils per kilo of body weight. um, And that's how much water you should be having. If you sweat, then you need to replace all the liquids that you have sweated out as well. So that's on top of your daily intake. Um, Good quality water. Don't drink water from the taps. Get a good water filter. Um that's super super like water is is life, right? Um so getting enough water and having a really clean, good quality source of water is so important. Like I was reading recently about the um all the lead and the taps, you know, that that's a problem. <laughs> you you don't want too much lead in your system. So, you know, I think the government's still saying we should be um turning our taps on for thirty seconds every morning before we drink or cook from any water in Australia. So, you know, that that's something to consider too. But yeah. Good clean water is super important and enough of it. And the third thing is uh, ditch, ditch processed foods 80, uh, 80% of the time. So 80-20 rule. Um, I like to see, I love good whole foods. I have now, I used to eat like crap. I've been able to retrain my taste buds to actually enjoy good whole foods now and I enjoy I go back to processed foods and they're not it doesn't taste good to me it's like a sledgehammer um, or just way too sweet so ditching processed foods is absolutely huge and (laughs) probably one of the biggest factors um, in terms of uh, taking care of your health long term. Our body just isn't designed to digest and deal with what is in those things. So, you know, meat, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, um, fruit, nuts, and seeds should form 80% of your diet. And I'd say the extra 20% is when you go to a wedding or a birthday party and there's a massive cake full of sugar and you want to celebrate and have a glass mm. of wine. Yeah. Celebrate life, enjoy, um, have the piece of cake by all means. Um, but most of the time in your daily life, you should be eating whole foods. And I'd say add one more thing, and I know we're nearly done, sit down to eat and make it a ritual. Gather with your loved ones, your families and friends often to enjoy meals together because no matter what you're eating, it's so life-giving. And um, I, I think food tradition is really, really important and really um, wholesome for us and our spirituality and our spiritual connections and relationships.
0: Love that, Tess. Hey, last question, I promise. Yeah. Um, uh, is there anything that you want to spruik? Uh, any uh, websites or any blogs or anything that your, your, your business, for that matter, um, where can people find out more information on you?
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I go by Tessa Rickard, nutritionist, and you can find me on Instagram and you can also find me on my website. Um Yeah, feel free to book in a discovery call with me if you are a woman with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's or you have gut issues and uh, you want some help. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much for your knowledge. And um, yeah, just this is a great interview, Tess. Uh, Love you, sister. And thanks for the time today.
1: Thanks so much, Dom.
0: All right. Bye. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend. We want others to uh, embrace this unscripted life, this uh, life apart from promotion or perfection, but honesty and purity and love. So until we catch up again, let's consider how we may spur each other on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging each other as we see the day approaching. Love you guys. Peace.